Well, that's it. All right. So let me say um, today that uh, before I get into what I'm going to get into, uh, we're going to um, kind of not necessarily preach through, but, but talk through a little bit um, all of Ephesians, the whole, the whole book, which sounds like a lot, except that Sam preached Genesis, Genesis through Revelation. And so it, this will actually feel like nothing. Oh yeah, I forgot about the offering. We should probably do that. Y'all just, yeah, go ahead and pass those baskets. And if you want to give to some other way, you can do that as well. That's why my wife sits on the front row. Well, for that and for editing purposes. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Ephesians today and just kind of uh, how Ephesians is laid, laid out and what Paul is, is saying to the people at Ephesus, what, he, what it is he's trying to get across and, and how he's, he's doing that. And before I jump into that, I want to say this. People are different. I don't know if y'all have noticed that or not, but, but people are different. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about, actually, the, what we're talking about is being led by the Spirit rather than uh, being effort-driven, okay? Led by the Spirit rather than effort-driven. Now, when I just say that, you know, we're going to be led by the Spirit, not effort-driven, uh, some of you think you hear what I'm saying, and you may not hear what I'm saying. And so I want to make sure that you understand uh, where I'm going with this. Um, people are different. And when I am led by the Spirit, I probably move at a pace that would seem like a tortoise to you. Okay? But that's, that has more to do with my personality than it does being led by the Spirit. Because some of you, when you're led by the Spirit, you move at what to me would seem like a, the pace of a horse race, a racehorse, right? And, and that's just it's the way that you're wired. Uh, some people are wired to move fast and some people are wired to move slow. And so, <laughs> sorry to say slow people. So slow people, <laughs> when they're led by the Spirit, typically move at a more methodical pace. But, but some of you are wired for, to produce and when you're being led by the Spirit, you, you can do like seven things at once. And that, that's awesome. It's amazing. Here's the thing that we want to stay away from. We want to stay away from uh, being driven by the things of the world. There's a busyness. We, you know we live in a busy culture, right? There, there are two kinds of busyness. There, there's a being busy about the things of the kingdom and there's being busy in the things of the world. And when we're busy in the things of the world, it keeps us from the things of the kingdom. And so when we're led by the Spirit, it's not just that we move slower. You, you may actually move faster when you're led by the Spirit. It's just you're led in a different way to different things. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so I just want to make sure that when, you know, when I get into this and I'm talking about being Spirit-led and not not uh, effort-driven. I don't want any of you to hear me say that you know, slowing down means doing nothing. What slowing down means is kind of pushing aside 
the temptation to run hard after the things of the world so that you can run actually harder after the things of the kingdom. So, all right. Now, uh, we're gonna kind of move through Ephesians. Um, I'm gonna focus on one section in chapter five, but I wanna give you kind of the layout of Ephesians before we do that. Um, we are made for love. Uh, we are made for love. Uh, we are created by God for God. And, and it almost seems like, you know, you, you, you could say that, you, you could read that and you could interpret it uh, in the wrong way. When, when we say that we're made by God for God, it almost sounds like he's being selfish, but he's not being selfish at all. He created us for himself. You know, when we say this is for me and it's only for me, that's kind of a selfish idea. But God created us for himself which was the most generous thing that has ever been done. It's the most unselfish thing ever because he didn't need us. God doesn't need anything. And so out of his generosity and his kindness, he created us as the object of his affection for himself. It's an unbelievable thing. He created us as the object of his affection, not because he needed to, but simply because he wanted to. Uh, we were made to be loved. Ephesians chapter one, verses five and six says it this way. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In other words, he created us to be his sons because he wanted to. It's amazing. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You know who the one he loves is, don't you? That's his son. He has given us this ability to taste his grace, to know his grace, to experience his grace through relationship with the one that he loves. What an unbelievably generous thing for God to do. So we're, we are made to be loved, but we're called to love. We're made to be loved, but we're called to love. Um, now, Jesus said that the first and greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the interesting thing about that. We can't do it. It's the first and greatest commandment, and we can't do it. Now, does that sound like something that God would do? He would, he would give us a commandment that we can't do. Well, the truth is, he's given us a lot of commandments and we can't do any of them. That's just the first one. We can't do any of them. And that's why I say we are made to be loved, but called to love, because it is only when we experience the love of God that we are able to then love. So we can't fulfill our calling until we experience the reason we were created. We're created by God to, to experience his love, to know him, and it's in knowing him and being loved by him and actually being filled by his spirit that we're able to love. I, I stand at the altar with, with couples who are getting married 
a lot. And, and here's the incredible thing about marriage. Marriage is built on a foundation of unconditional love. And none of us is capable of loving unconditionally. And that's why marriage is a covenant between a husband and a wife and God. Because God is the one who provides the love. God can love you, love another person through you and love you through another person, which is another unbelievably generous thing that he has done. Now, last week we talked about Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus said, you have to be born again. Guess what? You have to be born again to love. You have to be born again to love. The first three chapters of Ephesians are actually a prayer by Paul for the people of Ephesus. And what he's praying is that they would have an encounter with God. He has things that he wants to teach them. He has instruction that he wants to give them. He has actually things that he wants them to do. But none of that is worth anything until they encounter God, until their hearts are born again in the spirit. So Paul is praying for his hearers and his leaders that they would encounter God. And he prays for a supernatural encounter with God that would bring spiritual revelation. This is something that can't be initiated by a human being. This is something that is initiated by God. We can't make it up. You can't work up in your own effort the, the things of the Spirit. They have to come from Him. So we know then that we are called, uh, that we are made to be loved, we're called to love. We know that we're commanded to love God and that we're commanded to love our neighbor. And sometimes, if we're honest, we get tired. And we get frustrated and we even feel guilty because we can't, we can't love the way we know that we're supposed to or the, the way that we're called to or even the way that we want to. And, and in marriage, a lot of times we, we feel those same frustrations because we know the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And when we look in the mirror, we realize, you know what? I, I would like to say that I love my wife, but I can't really say that I love my wife the way Jesus loves the church. And, and that's what he's calling me to do. So we're called to a love that we're not capable of apart from encounter, apart from encounter with God. So unless we're born again, like we talked about last week, born of the water and born of the spirit, unless God puts his love in us, we can't love the way we're called to love and even the way that we desire to love. So it's his action you know, we, we, we say a lot of times that love is an action. You've probably heard that. But guess what? It's his action. It's his action. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved. And then everything comes after that. For God so loved. So any love that we have in us that is godly love, any love that we have that fulfills his calling on our life has to come from him. So Ephesians uh, chapter one, verse 15 through, through three twenty one is a prayer for encounter. 
And this is why Paul spends three chapters praying for us to have an encounter because he's then gonna spend three chapters telling us to do things that we couldn't do without encounter. So the first three chapters are about encounter and then the next three chapters are about the things that will happen in our lives and through our lives because of encounter. So beginning with chapter four, Paul gives us instructions on things that we're to do. And he begins with this. As a prisoner of the Lord then, or as a prisoner of the Lord therefore, because you belong to Jesus, these are the things that will happen. So he lays out this plan for encounter, this desire for encounter in three chapters. And then he says, in the beginning of chapter four, because you have encountered the Lord, this is what will happen. Okay, so let me explain it this way. Um, he, he talks about the fact that because God is in you, because you are surrendered to God, you will live worthy, in a, you will live in a worthy manner, you will be humble, you will be gentle, you will be patient, you'll bear with one another, you'll do all of these things in love. Now, like I said, chapters one through three are a prayer. And this prayer is written in the indicative form. Now, what that means is that uh, when something is stated in the indicative, it is telling you what is. Okay, so this is a little grammar lesson. The indicative indicates what God has done. Okay, that's a good way to remember it. The indicative indicates what God has done and who we are because of what he's done. Okay, so we're sons and daughters, because, not because of anything that we have done. We are sons and daughters because of what he has done. That's the indicative. Now, chapters four through six are written in the imperative. And the imperative form is a command. So one through three is indicative. These are the things that are true. The, the indicative indicates what God has done. These things are true. God has done these things. And then the imperative, chapters four through six, are a command. Now, throughout the New Testament, we are given ethical imperatives that are based upon theological indicatives. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so we're giving ethical imperatives. These are the things that you are supposed to do because of what God has done. Okay, so there. So obedience is always a response to grace. We, we don't obey in order to be loved. We obey because we are loved, okay? That's why the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So the indicative says, this is who you are because of what God has done. And the imperative says, this is how you should live based on who you are. This is how you should live based on who you are. So identity then determines behavior. Behavior does not determine identity. So Paul is determined that we encounter God because he knows that knowledge is not enough. Paul could stand up and he could start at chapter four 
without chapters one through three. He could start in chapter four and tell them all the things they need to do. He could tell them, this is how you're supposed to live. These are the things you're supposed to do. This is how you treat your wife. This is how you treat your husband. This is how you raise your kids. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. The reason he doesn't do that is because he knows that knowledge is not enough. How does Paul know that? He's been there. He knows stuff. Paul is a Pharisee. Who else was a Pharisee? Nicodemus. Paul is like Nicodemus. That's why he understands this being born again thing so well. He has lived like Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He knew stuff and it wasn't enough. He knew so much that he was going around killing Christians. And so Paul understands that knowledge is not enough. In fact, knowledge is like water. Knowledge is like water. You remember the story of Jesus at the wedding in Cana of Galilee? All they had was water. They ran out of wine and they had water. And Jesus' mother comes to him and says, they need some wine. And then she says, do whatever he says. Even after he kind of gives the idea that, you know, he's not gonna do anything. Moms just know. And so she says, do whatever he says. And she walks away and what does he do? He turns the water into wine. And so what I would suggest to you is that knowledge is, is not, it's not that knowledge is unimportant. Knowledge is important. We don't wanna be stupid, we wanna know stuff. But what you really need is you need to give your water to Jesus and let him turn it into wine. Okay, so now Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, we're finally there. <laughs> Let's read this. Oh, or we could sing, okay. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some say that all of Paul's writings, as well as the book of Acts, hangs on Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Now, I would go so far as to say that the gospels point to Ephesians 5 and that everything else in the New Testament hinges on Ephesians 5. 15 to 21, especially verse 18, second half that says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, and the reason I say the gospels point to that is because Jesus himself tells his disciples at the end of the gospels, after we've lived the whole story of the life of Jesus, he's died, he's been resurrected, he gathers his disciples and he says to them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for what? The promise of the Father. The very thing that Paul is talking about 
in Ephesians 5. Now, here are some things, and, and for, for many of you, this, this will be review, uh, but for the sake of, of those maybe who, ha- who haven't heard it, we need to review this. These are some things you need to know about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, it's in the passive voice. You're gonna know so much grammar when you get home today, you're gonna feel like you've been to school. It's in the passive voice, and what that means is, it is something that is done to you. It's not something you do. You can't fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. God fills you. So it's in the passive voice, it's done to you. Secondly, it's in the plural form. And the fact that this word from Paul is in the plural form, he doesn't say to one person, you should be filled. He says to the entire body of Christ, you should all be filled. So it's not just for the preacher, it's not just for the missionary, it's not just for the guest speaker, it's for everyone. Plural form, all believers need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in the imperative mood. Now imperative we've mentioned already, it's a command. And that means that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a suggestion and it's not an option. It's not like, you know, okay, some of you might wanna be filled. Some of you might not. It's not that, it's a command. God is saying, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, otherwise you're not gonna be able to do the things that I need you and want you to do. So it's not a suggestion. Gordon Fee, who he actually passed away in 2022, uh, I think October. He was a New Testament professor at Regent College in Vancouver. Uh, Incredible man, smart, smart guy. New Testament professor, and he said that this, when Paul says, be filled, or actually when, when God says through Paul, be filled, he calls that the ultimate imperative. The ultimate imperative. Now, it's also a verb of continual action. Now, this is, this is really important. Don't miss this. It is a verb of continual action. What does that mean? It means that once it starts, it never stops. Once you invite the Spirit of God to fill you, it's like stepping into a a never-ending river. And God continues to pour himself into you every day for the rest of your life. The best translation of this passage is actually go on being filled by the Holy Spirit. Incredible. So Paul, after he says this, be filled, he gives this this command to all believers. He indicates that the Holy Spirit will impact us. That when we're filled, it will change how we do certain things. The presence of God in us will change how we live. Imagine that. The presence of God will change how we live. And he talks about, about, he mentions about five things. And there there are other things that are mentioned in other places in scripture. You know, certainly the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit and all of these these things. Um, But Paul in this passage mentions just a few things and over half of what he talks about has to do with worship. 
that being filled will change the way we worship. Uh, Number one, he says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spirit songs. And what Paul is saying here is that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will worship differently, and our worship will not just be pulled into a cocoon, just being God, but our worship will be corporate and it will be for each other. That the way I worship should be a blessing to you and the way that you worship should be a blessing to me. And you should be edified by my worship. I should be edified by your worship. And one of the things he says is that we should sing psalms to each other. Now, when you're walking down the street and you run into somebody you know, from Riverstone, it's gonna feel a little weird if they come up and start singing a psalm to you. You know, at Kroger or Publix or someplace. And so that's not really what he's talking about. But, but we, we need to understand the incredible value that the New Testament church had for scripture and especially for the Psalms. You know, everything that Jesus prayed from the cross is in the Psalms. And so, you know, it begs the question, did Jesus on the cross pray the prayers of David or did David write the prayers of Jesus? And I would say David wrote the prayers of Jesus because Jesus existed before David. They had incredible value for the Psalms and and so they sang the Psalms. And I would just say that at the very least, we need to have value for the Psalms and we need to speak the Psalms to each other even if we don't sing them to each other. Because the Psalms are filled with words of encouragement. How many of you know that there are enough voices out there that discourage? We don't need another discouraging voice. And so let's be encouragers. Let's be edifiers, singing songs, singing hymns. And what is he talking about when he says spirit songs in worship. You know, the spirit songs are, are the songs that aren't written in the Old Testament. They're not written on the little cheat sheet that the worship team has up here. The, the songs, the words of these songs aren't written down anywhere. Where are they written? I think they're probably written in heaven and nowhere else. These are the songs that God sings into your heart so that you can sing them into mine. So there's a prophetic nature to worship that God wants to use so that I experience something as I encounter God and he he speaks to me. I need to make sure that everything he speaks to me, I don't just keep for me. Now, there there are some private things that God will say to you that you should keep. There are times when God speaks to you and you look back at him and he goes, but there are also things, and this is most things, he speaks to you and encourages you so that you can encourage someone else. And so when God gives you a song in particular, when you're here gathering corporately, or even if you're in in a quiet place at home or in a small group and God gives you a song, I would say 
write it down. If God gives you a song, write it down because it may be that it's a song that he wants you to share with someone else. So he says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spirit songs. And then he says, sing and make music in your heart to God. So he, he starts with how our worship is supposed to bless each other. But then he goes quickly to your worship should bless the heart of God. And that's you know, something that we've been talking about a lot here in the last few weeks. It's just, you know, let's make our worship an offering to God. Now, guys, I love worship. And I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I love what I receive in worship. I love the way I, I, I experience the presence of God in worship. I experience the love of God in worship. And, and so I could come to worship just for me, but don't. Come first for him. It's okay if you get something. He doesn't say, you know, I want you to just be about me. I don't want you to feel anything. I don't want you to receive anything. I want you to be just stoic. You know, offer your praise to me. Make sure that I get all of it. What he says is, worship me and just see how I pour out the blessings of heaven on you. And so make it about him. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about him. But rest assured, if you, if you make it about him, he'll probably make it about you because that's just kind of the way he, he works. So sing and make music in your heart to God Worship from here, not just from here. Now, I, I, I saw a, um, a post, I think it was on social media recently. It was a post that somebody said, um, um, here's a joke about contemporary worship. Here's a joke about contemporary worship. Here's a joke about contemporary worship. <laughs> okay, I laughed too. Um, and it's, it's funny, but... When you worship him from your heart, that kind of stuff, you know, repeating the same thing over and over doesn't bother you. And in fact, if you read the Bible, the description that we have of the worship that's going on in heaven is, here's a, here's a joke about what's going on in heaven. Here's a joke about what's going on in heaven. <laughs> Here's a joke about what's going on in heaven. It's, it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on because it's good and because it's true. So worship, not just from your head, but from your heart. And then he says, always give thanks to God in the name of Jesus. Maintain a posture of thankfulness. And one of the things that we have learned in this season, because this has been you know, a season, it goes back you know, two years, three years, however long, um, 
We, we have lived in a season where much of the culture and even the Christians in the culture have experienced incredible anxiety. Anxiety has gone through the roof. And one of the things we've learned in this season is that you cannot be thankful and anxious at the same time. It's, it's, it's been proven to be biologically impossible to be thankful and anxious at the same time. And so Paul is actually giving us a recipe for peace. He says, be thankful. Be thankful. Maintain a posture of thankfulness in prayer and in worship. Now, then the interesting thing, he says, and after all this talk about worship and about encouraging each other and about worshiping God and, and uh, being thankful, he says, submit to one another. Prefer each other. Submit to one another. Now, let me be clear. He doesn't say for anyone to submit to a particular person. He doesn't say in this particular context, you know, submit to your spiritual authorities or submit to your leaders. Or In this particular context, his emphasis is everybody submit to each other. It's a, a mutual submission. And what it really means is don't be a grabber. Be a giver. Y'all know the story of Jacob. You know the reason that they named him Jacob because Jacob means grabber. And he came out of the womb grabbing his brother's ankle and then spent the better part of his life grabbing his brother's stuff. Don't be a grabber. Be a giver. Submit to one another, prefer others. For Paul, the spirit-filled life is marked by singing, by thankfulness, and by mutual submission. Now, God has called us to a standard that is too high for us. He has called us to a standard of living towards him and towards each other that is beyond our ability. And then he has offered us, again, in his unbelievable generosity, the solution to our dilemma. We've been called to do things we can't do. And then God says, I'll do it for you. I'll do it in you and through you. All you have to do is submit and surrender to me. So he invites us to surrender to him and to be filled by him. And that, that is the message of Ephesians is Encounter God, be filled by him, and then see how much more incredible, how much more fun, how much more exciting, how much more productive life is in the power of the Spirit than it is through your own effort. That makes sense? Okay. All right. Once you stand, I'm going to invite our teams to come. And here's, here's what we're gonna 
we'll pray for anybody, for anything. I mean, if you, if you need physical healing, if, you, if you've never said yes to Jesus and want to give your life to Jesus, we would certainly love to pray for you in that regard. If there are other issues in your life that you want prayer for and you specifically came today wanting prayer, we, we'd love to pray for you. But here, more specific to what we just talked about, here's what I want to say. If you feel like much of your your life, even your kingdom life, you're, you're kind of trying to do the things of God in your own strength. You know, Zechariah said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God wants to work through you. So if you feel like, you know, I'm, I have good desires, I'm just trying to do things in my own strength. If that's you, would love to pray for you today, for God to fill you with his spirit. Uh, if you would say today, you know, I, I'm kind of like uh, some of the early Christians who said, um, they, I've been following Jesus, but I've never even heard of being baptized in the spirit. If that's you, we, we'd love to pray for you today because God wants you to be filled with his spirit. Now, I will say this, nobody's ever been filled who didn't wanna be filled, but some people have been filled who didn't know that they'd been filled. They just didn't have the language for it. I can't tell you, I, 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 probably, I, I think I can say this, I can't tell you how many um, Southern Baptists I know who are so filled with the Holy Spirit. They, <laughs> they are so filled, uh, they might not use that language. They have been completely baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they may not say that, but they have been. And so be careful, you know, that you don't build boxes that God didn't build. Um, he, but he wants to fill you. Okay? If you've never been filled. Never, you, you feel like you're doing things in your own strength and rather, rather than through God's power. We would love to pray for you today. And so I just encourage you to come. And uh, if, you, if you're not sure, you, you just come up here and say, I, I don't know. I think, I'm, I think I am filled with the Spirit, but I just don't know. Come, come up here and let us pray for you. I'd love to, okay? All right. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We love you. We worship you. You are God. We want to be full. We open our lives to you and we say, river, river of God, flow through us, never stop. In Jesus' name, amen.